What's in what is in the pipeline for Atherton bikes here? They I heard that there's three new bikes just now. Oh, he left. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, fuck that. I'm not telling you shit. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Mike Levy, and today's show is a good one. Brian and I sat down with some of the guys from Atherton Bikes, chief designer Rob Gao, engineer Ben Farmer, and this guy named G. Atherton, who I hear is pretty quick on a bike. Now, Atherton Bikes uses carbon tubes that are bonded into additive manufactured titanium lugs. Say that three times fast. So, Today's show, we delve into the production process that includes massive buckets of titanium dust and a million dollar hopper machine, about 16 hours per frame, and carbon fiber tubes from a company in New Zealand renowned for their sailboat mass. Now, G also reveals the next three models from Atherton Bikes, so keep an ear open for that later on in the show as well. Hey, everybody, we're here to talk everything Atherton Bikes, and I have three of the main guys from Atherton with me today, as well as Brian Park, who's full of tech questions. He's going he's gonna to help me get to the bottom of some of this tech stuff today. And I've got Rob Gao. Rob, what is your job title and what do you do at Atherton Bikes? My job title is Head of Design. Um, so I, I work with a, a small team of designers and manufacturing engineers to essentially take the, the vision the Athertons give us for, for new products and engineer them and design them into into prototypes and then production products that are robust and reliable and manufacturable and just really strong and good. Yeah, yeah. All right. And we've also got Mr. Ben Farmer here. Ben, what do you what is your role at Atherton? I'm Chief Technology Officer. So we're gonna send all the hard questions to you in other words. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Day West. And we've also got the man himself, G. Atherton, here with us. G, first off, you had a, a huge crash. I guess it was a fair bit ago now. How long ago was that? And what happened and how are you feeling? Yes, mate. Yeah, it was a good crash. Um, it was almost a year ago now. Um, last June it was. So, you know, we're not far off the year mark, which is considering I'm not riding again yet is is pretty heavy. But yeah, feeling much better. I'm on the mend and... A few gentle rides recently. It's it's starting to look up for me now. Are you looking to make a full recovery? Is that like the long term prognosis? Is you're going to be coming back and racing and all that? Absolutely, mate. Yes, um, and they're 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 confident in the full recovery as well. You know, there was there was a lot of injuries, and you know the severity of the injuries meant the recovery was pretty heavy. But luckily for me all the complicated stuff healed up pretty quickly and now it's just a case of you know the the big bones like the femur it's got a few weeks oh. of healing ahead of it just to kind of finalize those last little bits and then we're good to go back into the action have you thought of 3d printing some shit for in there <laughs> just be a little stronger you know that was literally my first question to the boys. <laughs> I'm actually, coincidentally, I am full of titanium rods and plates and screws now. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on brand, so to speak. Yeah. He's coming back stronger, everybody. <laughs> Scary. All right. Exactly, exactly. No, full recovery. 
Hey, Rob, let's get into some of the tech details of your manufacturing and how this actually works. Let's just pretend we're only pretending for a moment that I don't know anything <laughs> about additive manufacturing process. Can you just explain this to me in general terms so I have an idea of what it is? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I guess the first clue is an additive that you're as, as the opposite of the reductive or you, you're basically you're starting with powdered material, which in this case, our case is titanium. And you are essentially welding that in very thin layers. Um, so we work in 60 microns. Um, and you're welding that, um, the powder into a solid material. So you build up very small layers at a time and gradually create a, a solid part from, a, um, from powder. Um, and that, that process basically enables you to create almost unlimited geometry, unlimited shapes. So you're not, you're not constrained by having a mold tool or having to get a cutter in or something like that. So you can create these crazy shapes that are really optimized um, that you couldn't make with really any other process. Is this, is this the same as 3D printing? Is the process similar or is that a completely different thing? Yeah, no, well, there is, I mean, there are, there are quite a few different base technologies of 3D printing. I mean, 3D printing is a hugely general term. And I mean, Ben, ben can dive into more detail on this. Um, but yeah, the process process we use can be used for lots of different materials. Um, ben, yeah, you- if you want to get super tech, 3D printing is a common term for it. The engineers call it additive manufacturing. It was it was standardized by the ASTM, the American Standards and Testing Organization. Um, and the technology that we use is laser powder bed fusion. Cool. So it's not the same as the little sausage tube squeeze of plastic out that I got in the garage. Well, the, the fundamentals, <laughs> the basics of it are the same. You take a, a CAD model, it's a, a 3D representation of something on the computer, it gets sliced, and then the 3D printer or the additive manufacturing machine reassembles those 3D slices in, in physical reality. How long does it take to make these lugs? Is it is it like a an hour and you come back into the room and you have like a bunch of lugs there ready for tubes or is it days or? So, I mean, data's created that depending on how unusual the size is or something, that can take a, a few hours. Um, the machine is prepared, warms up. The actual laser process of the, of the um, fusion takes about 16 hours oh, wow. for our bikes. For currently. one bike, one set of lugs, um, 16 then, hours. <clears throat> for one bike, yeah. And then once that's finished, the machine cools down. You depowder the lugs. So when you build these lugs, they're contained in a box of powder. So you, you raise the build plate back up, spread away the powder. That gets recycled back into the machine. You empty all the powder you can from the lugs, which are welded onto a titanium build plate. Um, that takes a little bit of time. And then there's a good bit of work then to... You, when you build the lugs, you have to use support structures. You can't weld into free space. So there's some manual work then to do to get the support structures off. Um, so that once that's done, then, then we go through a whole lot of finishing and so on. We can probably talk yeah. about it later. But. When you say support structures inside, I'm, I'm sort of picturing, I'm sure I'm way off base here, but I'm, I'm picturing like a mold that you're building. Like a when someone builds something out of carbon, they're, they're placing the carbon pieces over the mold or, or whatever, or over the bladder, I should say, in a mold. Now, you're obviously not using... Uh, a mold or a bladder, but are there some parallels there as well? 
Yeah, it's, it's kind of like building the tooling as you go. The, the support structures do two things. One, they provide a physical anchor. So like I said, you can't just start building something in free space, in loose powder. You have to weld onto something solid. So if, you, if you've got an overhang, you have to build a support structure up off your build plate to then reach the overhang so they yeah. coincide. Um, so it acts as a physical support, but also um, it's a heat sink as well. So there's a lot of energy going through a very tiny little spot, maybe 100 micrometers or so, and it's a way to get the yeah, heat yeah. out of it. I imagine there are there are tons of advantages to doing it this way, to manufacturing this way. But I'm surprised to hear you say 16 hours. To me, looking in from the outside, that's probably a factor in the cost of these things. Like when something takes that long to make. Is there any way in the future, I imagine, that you guys would have plans to to lower that time quite a bit, which would then lower prices? Yeah, not not in the immediate future. I mean, we use the state-of-the-art equipment. So we use a four-laser machine from a company called Renishaw. It's very fast, relatively yeah. speaking. But the whole industry is getting quicker. So over the course of time, we'll, we'll get yeah. quicker and quicker. I mean, the, the best way to get quicker with additive manufacturing is more machines so that you know overnight you can get five out of something instead of one or a bigger build space or whatever but yeah it all seems to take a lot of time <laughs> that's the kind of sledgehammer approach to going quicker yeah <laughs> um yeah we, we've been getting faster i mean that you, you can look at I mean, keeping your parts small is a way to get go quicker um we, the, the parameters you use the, the various settings in the machine the various things that you do you, you can go faster and faster but and it's not like uh subtractive manufacturing like a cnc machine wouldn't take a good chunk of time either to make all the same lugs it would still it might not take 16 hours but it would still take a decent amount of time yeah absolutely um and one of the things that that we've been as ben was saying with you know we're the, the the technology is so kind of new that we're and we're kind of pushing it so hard that we're learning constantly about the technology and about how to design parts to make them be able to build faster using less material. So we're, we're building in kind of efficiency to that and also looking at how to combine AM with other more traditional manufacturing processes. So you mentioned CNC. So you know, the reason we went for AM in the first place was because it was really well suited for the, the particular types of engineering challenges we had. And as we've kind of learned more about the products and learned more about processed other processes, we can sort of look at kind of mixing up different kind of manufacturing um, options, you know, to, to create something that, you know, is, is still very optimized, but obviously is, is faster and therefore cheaper to manufacture. The other thing is the rate at which that technology is advancing. You know, a few years ago, there was single laser machines and now it's, it's a four laser machine. And, you know, it seems to be developing so, so quickly. And, you know, it's quite a, a, a rapidly progressing kind of area. When you guys are calling these lugs too, it almost doesn't do them justice. Like when I hear lugs, I think of like a giant Kadex, you know, or I think of like a an old Conago and the you say that like it's a bad thing. Yeah, I love the retro the, the retro future thing is so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's maybe not a bad thing, but I don't think you're doing these things justice either. Like I've seen photos, close up photos of these lugs, and these are like First off, they're titanium, which is pretty freaking cool. But also, there's some like super crazy details, like honeycomb structure in there. Can you speak a little bit about the weight optimization and, and all that that goes into this to, to make them like that? Yeah. So, um, 
I mean, that, that's one of the real beauties of AM is it, it's from a design point of view, it just gives you incredible flexibility that you can almost create any shape. So with, a, with, with for example, if you're making something in a mold, then obviously you have to be able to remove that mold from the parts or so you're limited to internal details. If you're CNC machining something, you've got to have access to get a, a tool in there. Whereas with, um, with AM, you, you're only limited by by really whatever you can support, as, as Ben was describing. Um, and, and you can also create very thin and complex, so very thin wall thicknesses, again, which you struggle to with other manufacturers. So basically, you can you can optimize the part massively to for strength and weight. Um, and one of the one of the things we got into fairly early on was um, there's a process called topology optimization, which is essentially where you uh, use computer simulation so you, you you load up a model in CAD world um, with the, the loads that it would see so the byte frame would see in use and uh, using um, finite elements um, software you basically iteratively generate the optimum shape for a given set of loads um, and you see this done quite a lot but often then it's very difficult to the shape that creates can be some wacky form with all sorts of internal um, shapes you just can't make. Um, whereas with additive manufacturing, you've got the flexibility and the freedom to actually create these shapes and therefore create these really optimized, structurally optimized parts. So you're talking a bit the, about, oh, sorry, Ben, go ahead. Well, the beauty is the, the lighter the part, the faster it is to make. You don't, oh. you don't pay anything for, for complexity. Right. Generally speaking, I mean, right. I, I I share your thoughts. I mean, lugs. It's a really historic term that the bike industry uses for obvious reasons. The lug bikes. Um, but I mean, our backgrounds from different industries, and um, in a, a bike frame is essentially a space frame, and and if you generalize those terms, they'd be nodes, connectors. So they're yeah, we can make it sound different, but at the end of the day, it's a bicycle, it's a lug. Levy, your next your next review, you have to call them nodes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the other thing, just to, to check in there, in terms of the, the, the kind of flexibility you have, is, is it enables you to modify parts with real subtlety. Mm-hmm. So one of the, the really early bits of work when, um, when, you know, when the Athens really got stuck into the products was to work on chassis stiffness. And we were able Mo- to... More or less... Um, I don't, it's not as simple as that. It's mm-hmm. just different, you know. And and it, I mean, we're obviously. It's, I mean, it's such a huge question. We're constantly, you know, learning more about it. But but one of the things we we're able to do with the, um, with the, the nodes, lugs nodes, um, was control stiffness in very particular ways, um, which meant you can kind of tune it in. Uh, Combined with the fact that you can obviously create prototypes very quickly because you're mm-hmm. not having to, you can literally, you can make, you can get a new rear end made within a week, um, you know, being tested on the track and getting feedback straight away. So that combination of being able to prototype very quickly, get feedback very quickly, iterate, and then interpret that feedback from the riders in a really detailed way into the parts lets you create these really refined um, products. We're gonna we're gonna come back to those lugs, but gee, I just wanted to ask you a question about testing. What has this been like for you, being able to have, I mean, that kind of product available to you, where you could change out, you know, this and that, and back to back things like that. 
has it been i imagine it's been super interesting it has yeah it's been it's been incredible um at the very start when we were brand new to the 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 technology we were a little bit apprehensive because we've had you know in the past very limited um experience you know with additive manufacturing so to 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 be entering into a brand new technology and and having to trust it so implicitly we were you know we were a little nervous so it took a, a small amount of time for us to kind of venture into it, test the water, test the bikes, you know, test the, the strength of the lugs, test the strength of the joints. But very quickly, we realized, you know what, this this works and this works well. You know, we we went hard at it. We threw ourselves into that kind of testing the the, the manufacturing technique and we quickly realized this works well. And then from there, it was a case of, of learning how how fast we can operate with this manufacturing technique. You know, we're used to six months plus turnaround when we wanted a, a frame change. Suddenly it was a week. Suddenly it was it was the next week where we could have a new back end made with a different size and, and a slightly different stiffness or, you know, change the, the reach of the front end. You know, suddenly it just opened up this enormous kind of, array of possibilities that we'd never had before i'm smiling you can't see just on the, on the podcast but um g is also the king of the wind-up merchants <laughs> as well so during that early testing phase my god he had our hearts and our mouths at times but um he was always winding us up <laughs> is there you know a, a lot of designers and product managers and stuff will always you know re- repeat that perfect is the enemy of the good at some point it's got a ship type of attitude in in traditional mountain bike manufacturing is there not i guess a danger or is there does it become a challenge to actually ship a product or press done the done button because it's so easy to keep making changes an element of that for sure you know sorry sorry rob we but we as racers we were always thinking how can we improve this how can we alter this and, you know, like you say, we could keep going with that probably indefinitely just refining, changing and altering. And that's where, you know, Rob, Ben, the guys, they had to step in and say, look, guys, this this is an incredible product we've created now. You know, you're not you're not breaking it. You know, you, you've got a frame that will do an entire race season and and still be going at the end of it. You know, this this product is is ready for for the market and we need to go with it. There's a very famous Formula One designer, Adrian Newey, who if you ask him which is his favorite design, he always says the next one. Yes. <laughs> and that's the case here is that you do one, you think, well, actually, we could do that bit a bit better. And yeah. so the next one is always the better one. Um, but the thing is, for with our race team, we're, we're getting the next one is always the, the best one at, at the present time. And the beauty we have is that the bikes that we then are able to offer our customers are identical to the race team bikes in every single way. So, um, yeah, it's perfection is never the enemy of the good because what we've got is perfect for today. We'll get even more perfect tomorrow. And, and also one of the be- real benefits of not being limited by like having molds is obviously when those feedback comes back to the race team, if it's appropriate from a business and manufacturing point of view, they can be filtered into the, the, the customer's production line straight away. 
you know, we don't have to wait until we've got 1,000 frames coming in in a, in a shipping container. The bike industry would never do that, would never just <laughs> never. sell something that they didn't think was perfect. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> Victoria has been creating performance tires since 1953. Coming soon, two of Victoria's gravel tires, the Terreno Dry and the Terreno Zero, will come in at 47 millimeter widths. And the Mexcal, their popular MTB tire, will be available in a 44 millimeter width. Victoria tires and accessories, including the airliner gravel and airliner mountain bike inserts, can be found at victoria.com. Victoria airliners were created for increased control, durability, performance, and protection for tubeless tires. Use coupon code PINKBIKE at victoria.com and get 22% off all gravel and MTB tires through the end of May. There's lots of talk about ride feel and, you know, things feeling a little different. And I mean, we were just talking about testing different flex characteristics and stuff like that. So, G, from from your perspective on the trail, do these things, do these bikes feel different than like a bike of like a more traditional style frame of similar travel and geometry? Should a, should a rider who buys one an Atherton frame expect a different feel on the trail? I think so, yes. And... Um- you know, from the very start, that feel was a big thing for us. You know, the, the, the feel of the bike was was something we really honed in on. And, you know, that, that playful, lively feeling of a bike is, is what gives you the enjoyment from a ride. And, you know, we, we quickly realized that the strength side was not an issue. So, you know, it, it meant we could adjust the, the the sizing and the thicknesses of certain areas to 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 suit the the feel as as best we could you know it wasn't a case right we just need to build this you know head tube or, or rear end up as thick as we can because it's not strong enough given that bike that heavy sluggish rigid feeling you know we could we could get away with making certain areas slimmer and i think the the nature of of titanium is that it gives you quite a supple fluid enjoyable ride and you know that that became apparent quite quickly and it was it was it was something we really kind of zoned in on and and wanted to really kind of explore and 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 really kind of make as as the very best it could be give you a bit of a tech kind of reflection on that as well is that i mean composites work really well in nice simple shapes where the loads Mm -hmm. are coming from nice easy to understand directions Metals work really well where the loads come in from different directions and the shapes are complicated. So what we do, we put very, very high specific strength metal, titanium, in areas of high load and low complexity. And we connect it together with very high specific stiffness carbon tubing. And what that does is we can control where the stiffness is. When Rob was talking earlier about some of the testing feedback from G, we were tailoring this very specific wall thicknesses in one spot. So Brian, you're asking, is it... Mm -hmm more stiff or less stiff. Well, actually we want less stiff in one area and more stiff in another. So th- the reason we can do that more so with what we do versus a um, 100% composite frame is that when you build a, a bike frame, there's a lot of shape complexity in it. You end up with a lot of excess material, particularly around the bottom bracket, areas of shape complexity that you need for strength, but you get too much stiffness. Mm-hmm. And so that's the the... the the sidestep we make from that is that we don't need to worry about that. We can make it stiff and strong, but just in the right way. That's very cool. So I know 
there's a whole bunch of other advantages of additive manufacturing that we maybe haven't talked about yet, especially potential like consumer side customization and printing on demand and reduced environmental impacts, that stuff. I'd like to talk about that stuff, but since we've talked so much about some of these advantages, I'd love to hear about some of the disadvantages of added manufacturing in general. Um, other than, I mean, there it's expensive and 3D printing seems to be a buzzword that some brands are like, oh, cool, just add a zero to the price tag and put 3D printing on it. Other than that, what other kind of disadvantages are there? Why, why isn't everybody... I, I just have a quick follow-up on that as well before you guys jump into that. I've been to countless media presentations over the last 15 years where people have engineers and marketing people have drilled into my head that a monocoque carbon frame, you know, made in a mold, it's the lightest, <laughs> most efficient way to do it. Your guys' process is, is very, very different, obviously. How would you, how would you reply to that? Maybe I'll tackle that one. So I think there's, there's a number of different dimensions you could go out here. I mean, why aren't others doing it? Well, what firstly, there's the it's total the commercial models turned on its head. <clears throat> so we have we are custodians of a very high value piece of equipment, but it's extremely flexible. It can make anything. So we're, we're not we're, the the upfront investment we make in any one particular product is quite low, but the cost of making that product is quite high. Uh, in a in a recurring sort of way, so that's one thing. It just doesn't. If you if you're used to the way of doing things, it's totally alien. And so for an an existing company to go down this route would require tearing up their rule book and starting again. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is the the materials. Um, are uh, the whole thing understanding around the materials, process control, how you design for this process is not easy. And the reason we can do it is we've got many years of background coming out of aerospace and Formula One, which where we've learned this stuff. And especially from the aerospace side, it was taking years to see this knowledge come to fruition in products. It's why we decided to hey, start a bike company. Um, we had to express that really quickly. Um, so there's a lot of know-how needed to to understand how you design the metal parts, how you finish them, how do you... Um, construct the bike so the bonding elements of it is is something a lot of know-how has been brought to bear so not easy to do we brought together uh, a team which is quite unique this combination of, of of engineering expertise and then it's really made come alive when working with dan g and rach in terms of not creating a a kind of generic bike but a bike that's an atherton bike if you if you like i guess I always struggle with some of the marketing around additive manufactured products and it's really difficult to do an apples to apples comparison to subtractive like CNC or, or what a welded together frame is like, if I take a, if I ask you guys to fire up the Renishaw machine and make a straight basic shape, something, and then on your process and then we use uh, a CNC to make the same shape out of titanium um, on the on the CNC we get the same shape I, I realize it's not apples to apples because you could make a more complex shape with the with the titanium but for if it's this everything is I like the same shape the subtractive would be stronger right no no the same shape same shape, 
but because one would be additive and all welded together. And so I guess it wouldn't get a heat treat in the same way. I don't know. I'm not smart like that. All right. That's a, yeah, such a simple question. Difficult to ask. Yeah. I mean, apples for apples. I mean, generally speaking, um, you get a, a, a rule of thumb is you can get about a one third weight saving via the use of additive because of the shape freedom it gives you. Generally speaking, if you just took the same shape and made it in subtractive and additive of the same material, um, you're actually your, your subtractive part would probably be what the properties of the, of the top metal classes so forged plate products and so mm -hmm. on very high very yeah. good the additive parts statically are the same roughly the fatigue performance is less however you can control the shape in a way <laughs> to manage the peak stress so you don't push the fatigue in the same way when it all comes out in the wash you end up with about a one-third weight saving i can talk more about the kind of how you design for fatigue and so on yeah but... please ben are you are you familiar with a singer a zinger 21c car i am indeed yeah, yeah. so kevin yeah, yeah exactly for yeah. for people that want to see what additive manufacturing can do that's the place to look google the singer zinger 21c it's pretty impressive yeah um yeah I mean, so... what is it what is it sorry i'm a. <laughs> I don't know this one tell me oh it's a californian hybrid hypercar um, where the basis of it was the, partly a showcase of what you could do in automotive with additive. Um, yeah, and it's done a great job. It's fantastic. It's amazing. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, let's come back to our team. I mean, our team has been around a long time. I mean, a Andy Hawkins, who's not here today, uh, he was working in Renault Formula One during the Alonso days there using additive to produce uh, castings for gearbox casings. Um, I met Andy in an Airbus, what was that, 2006. Um, and uh, that was just when his team in, in Airbus were, were uh, pulling additive out of making from wind tunnel models where manufacturing engineering wanted to make firstly tooling and then secondly flying parts. Um, and we were involved in various projects uh, with first additive part, metal additive part in space um, on the Atlantic Bird 7 satellite, via satellite TV in Europe. That's something to brag about. Um, <laughs> I, w I would tell Jeez. every single person I met that if that had happened in my life. I'd just be like, nice to meet you. Guess by the way. It doesn't work at dinner dates and so on. But the, um, the, yeah, and then we got involved in various, we back into Formula One. There's always been this close relationship between aerospace and Formula One. There's a lot of similarity in requirements and the types of structures you see. Um, and we did some really cool stuff with various Formula One teams back in the day. Um, and, um, yeah, that's that's why we can do it, and that's why it's, you don't see many companies doing it because it's a lot of know-how required. Not wanted to kind of boast yeah. about it too much. But do the lugs have to be titanium? No, uh, but there's a very good set of reasons why they are titanium. Firstly, they're very high specific strength. Um, titanium is really compatible with carbon fiber, so it, it, aluminium and carbon fiber are not at all compatible, mostly because of galvanic corrosion. You don't want to bond carbon and aluminium together whereas titanium aluminium is a nice bedfellow and they, lastly they have a very this is one of rob will laugh geo laugh they have a very similar uh poisson's ratio so this is the amount of material oh, contracts <laughs> when you stretch it as a poisson's ratio so when it comes to bonding you can bond titanium and carbon fiber together with a lot of freedom because their poisson's ratio mismatch is not very much also i imagine that because it takes so long to make these things it's going to be expensive anyways, so you may as well make it out of 
the the best material. It's, Brian, you're absolutely right. So the over the years, I mean, it's getting less so. The, your the contribution your material price into your part price with additive is pretty minimal. It's getting mm-hmm. less so as the machines get faster. You you worry more and more about your, your price of your material. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not such a big deal it, with additive. This might be a stupid question, but do you guys just get like a box of titanium dust? <laughs> you just it just melts it into the piece you want. Is that how this works? Yeah, what well, is it? It's a tub. But yeah, literally, we have we have tubs downstairs in a, in a special storage of of titanium powder, which you empty into a essentially a giant hopper. Huh. It, to nice. be to be fair, Rob, it is a one million dollar <laughs> hopper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's a very shiny nice hopper, hopper, guys. Nice it's hopper. literally. But yeah, when you but when you break, it's literally tubs of titanium powder in the back door, awesome, ready to go, mounted bikes out the front door. Wow. How how does the custom process work? So let's say I want a silly short travel bike that's too long and too slack. Are, are you asking them to make a Grim Donut, Levy? Specifically that. <laughs> I just – I go to the website. I tell you what I want and then like the lugs get printed out and obviously they're, they're slightly different shapes to give you those angles and then the, the carbon tubes are glued in. Is it – obviously that's simpler but – Well, so currently we have uh, two, two products. We have the, the, the downhill bike, um, the race team racing, and uh, 150 29er enduro bike. Um, so, on although that's it, we've got another another three products that are coming out in the next between two and six months, which I know G might want to talk about. But basically, once you've got those, the, got those from those two platforms, the way the, the CAD, so the computer design model, is set up, um, it's called it's parametric. So basically, all the different elements of the model uh, are related and controlled by sort of a master kind of equation, if you like. So we can we can take reach, um, head angle, head tube length, seat angle, seat, what you know, chaser length. Literally put those numbers into a spreadsheet, and then the model will automatically update to create. The, the, the model data, the manufacturing data for the lugs. Um, and then in turn, also tell you how long the tubes need to be to fit between those lugs. So basically what's happening is that the, the lugs are changing. So the angle of the joints changes and then the, and then they, so they then work with the different lengths of tubes, which yeah, they then get bonded into the, into the lugs. And it's all done on um, very precise jigs that are able to adjust for the different the different geometry you require. Um, but it's worth saying we have, we, we can do full custom, but we we learned that for, for a lot of people, it's actually pretty overwhelming because it's, you know, where, where you can, you know, sort of millimeter increments, you know, tenth of a degree increments, where on earth do you stop? So, you know, working particularly with, with obviously creating these Atherton bikes, we've created bikes that, you know, we believe are, what people should be riding, um, and then, but within that, we offer a huge number of sizes. So I think we've got twenty-two standard sizes uh, for the enduro bike. Right, it's probably but, worth saying from the from the customer point of view. Yeah, the, the experience then is you you go onto our website, you put your height, arm span, and inside leg in, and there's a fit calculator. There's a bit of code that runs in the website, which converts those numbers into the inputs for for Rob's parametric model. So it, it goes from my height, arm span, inside leg into 
reach, head tube length, change their length, and so on. So, I mean, my that was kind of my question too, and maybe it's more of just a marketing decision, but when I think of getting a custom 3D printed lugged bike, in my mind, I would want to like go to a website and plug in my numbers, get a recommendation, and then allow me to change things from there because I want something stupid. But did you guys just find that people screwed up their bikes too much? Yeah, well, well e either, I say, it was, it was kind of overwhelming. It just kind of freaked people out. Mm -hmm. And they were always kind of put off by the process. Hmm. Um, or, or they didn't really know what they want. So, the, I mean, the, the approach we took was to, was to give, us say, these 22 standard sizes. Mm -hmm. So the, basically, we've got 10 mil increments on reach. Mm -hmm. And then for every uh, for every reach, there's a you know, there's a there's a, a low and a standard um, seat tube, um, and then so basically, people as, as Ben described, the the fit calculator directs people to their closest fit, um, but it also indicates kind of how close they are to that fit, so whether or not it's it's worth considering um, a custom. I did I did it this morning, and it was it was pretty intuitive. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I did make me think about how the hell do you guys do like EN testing and stuff for that many frames? Yeah, that's a very good question. But basically, um, we we test the, the 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 toughest situation, so the the frame the frame size and geometry, which will be subject to the highest stresses for for a given load set. So we basically yeah, test we, the we, worst, we, worst case. We use the German test house, the FBE, mm -hmm. you guys are familiar with. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, we're really proud because we, we, we don't just send them one frame to do all the tests. Mm -hmm. We actually take Athi's frame, it's used it at the bike park, and put that <laughs> through the tests. Oh, and shit. It's, we, get sent to, we, it gets sent back afterwards. Um, so yeah, we're really proud of how, how that works. But yeah, we take the worst case scenario. But, test for that but you haven't yet you haven't yet sent one out with a 56 degree head tube angle or anything <laughs> they've tested worst case scenario yeah. oh. all right let's backtrack a little bit because i just heard that you guys have three new bikes in the works i don't know how much information you want to tell us part of me is hoping that it's some sort of shortest travel 29er for me to ride responsibly but what's in the works yeah, you're pretty close with that, actually. Um, next bike to be released, which I believe is only a couple of months away now, is going to be the 130. So a bit shorter travel, you know, quite a, quite a playful bike. It's something we've already been testing quite a lot and something we've had a lot of inquiries about. So, you know, a bike that kind of is is still structurally as strong as all of the other bikes due to the, the the way it's made just slightly lower travel so you know a bit more kind of a bit more playful and a, a bit more kind of pedalable i guess you would say um and then added to that is the bike we're super excited about a 170 kind of park bike i guess you'd call it so the idea with this bike is going to be a kind of one bike does everything. Um, something Athi's been testing already at the bike park and on the local tracks and by far his favorite bike so far. What about the e-bike? That's two. That's two. Yeah, then there's there's, there's Mullet downhill. Oh, and then the oh downhill. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've, which we've just kind of, we've, we've got out there already. But yeah, the, the, the 27, 29 DH bike. 
So I've got a question going back to the additive manufacturing with with the kinematic, like the suspension kinematic. Was the development of the suspension similar to how you would have developed suspension in, in a traditional bike? Like you do a bunch of thinking, get some ideas out on paper, and then try it in the real world, see how it goes? Or were you able to iterate faster? Or did you have to think about different things? Yeah. Okay, so uh, well, there's, there's, a, there's a few different elements to that. I mean, one one in terms of the, the kind of architecture of the bike, almost mm-hmm. um, as, as Ben was describing before, in terms of our approach with how to manage the the loads going through the structure. Um, it's all about directing them back to these back to these loads, to the metal loads. So that then sort of governs how you how you lay it out, so that you're not, for example. Um, you know, mounting a, a shock off halfway up the down tube or the mm-hmm. top tube. So everything is directed back to sort of the points of the triangle. So that is maybe um, a limitation of of using a lugged additive frame is that you're, you aren't going to put a shock mount point in the middle of a down tube or a top tube. You're going to put uh, it out of You could still do it, but it's more, it's more, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's it's a good practice for a structure anyway. So yep. it's a good, it sort of direct, it keeps you going in a kind of a true direction anyway. Um, and then, as you said, obviously the, the 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 ability to iterate obviously is key to the um, to to you know, being able to produce these very fine products. But specifically, the DW six, which is our which is our platform, um, was a great kind of natural marriage with AM because. It inherently is is a very flexible system, mm-hmm. so it, it enables you not. Essentially, you can your 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 fixed pivots. Um, you can change the characteristic of the suspension, the the different elements of the characteristics, kind of independently, without butchering the entire feel, um, all around sort of a common front end. So, which particularly with the race team meant that we could have. Um, common front triangle and then throughout the race season we would be swapping in different chain stays different seat stays in order to affect specific suspension characteristics um, which was which is I say is, is a particular sort of um, uh, characteristic of the DW when I, when I see those two letters DW I think light compression tune great under pedaling loads is that true? Does that apply similar characteristics as to what people think of when they see DW Link bikes? I'd say so. Yeah, um, I think we were quite keen to, you know, at the very start when we started working with with Dave Weagle, we were we were quite keen to say, you know, these are the uh, the the kind of the main areas we really want the bike to to feel and and, and perform in, and you know, it was a case of kind of giving him those those key points and then him creating that kinematic around it. Yeah, and that's the key marriage is you've got a manufacturing technology which gives you a great deal of freedom, both in sh- the shape of any one part, but the ability to iterate really quickly. And then the, and then the kinematic gives you a lot of freedom as well. So they, they work really well together. Is the finished product, I mean, weight, weight isn't everything, especially with a product like this that's obviously meant to be ridden quite hard. I would guess that the finished product would be slightly heavier than a monocoque carbon frame. Is that true, or am I out to lunch? No, no. We we have a really robust product. It's quite a conservative design approach to make sure it's 
very very durable when you take when you you have that you have a very durable starting point weight wise we're on a par with with full carbon products and the reason being is what i, what I explained earlier about the the strength of composites being in good nice flat mm. simple shapes mm -hmm. and metals being working well in complex shapes we take the best of titanium use it where it performs really well and connect it together with a very high stiffness carbon fiber mm. you get the best of both worlds the trick is just to make sure you don't offset that benefit by the weight of the joint so but we use these super weight efficient double lap shear joints that um are very robust and really high performance in terms of weight let's let's talk about the carbon tubes and those joints uh, first off where do the carbon tubes come from and are they different on different size bikes and different models of bikes so carbon tubes they come from it's a lot it's a bit of a chain here they they're, they're mitsubishi materials hmm. uh, we currently source them <clears throat> from new zealand um, for various oh. historic reasons um it's a very strong mast manufacturing business for sailing boats there that's why they're the best in the world when it comes to carbon tubes um and uh they they come arrive at us in long lengths um we use different materials and dimensions and layups for each tube on the frame and different products so we use different layups for different products um but we use the same design of tube for different okay. sizes and how are they how are they attached to the to the lugs i bet me saying glued doesn't do it justice <laughs> adhesive yeah so we use a two-part toughened epoxy adhesive it's very similar to what you find in, in an aircraft um but yeah, okay. room temperature curing what, what if i had uh what if i had my atherton frame and i damaged one of the carbon tubes is it is it feasible to send it to you to have that yeah. tube taken out really and replaced for real wow not you don't take the tube out we can repair the tubes though oh. so if the damage is sufficiently far away from the from the lug um, the tubes are eminently repair repairable. They're, they're, the tubes are made with a roll wrap pre-preg process, mm -hmm. um, so it's very mm -hmm. easy to reconstruct the tube um, to its original specification. But you can't actually take the lug apart. No, because you go to a great deal of lengths to make sure it never comes out. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Seems fair. Um, so going back to the weight thing, um, is there... Do you guys have a number handy on that 150 mil bike? Like, what is a frame and shock ish? Um, I'm appalled to say that I don't have a figure on the top of my head. <laughs> well, we're around, I mean, from, from, from memory, we're, we're around 3.1 to 3.3 kilos okay. with shock. With shock. Okay. So that's, you know, a 500, 300 grams heavier than some of the lighter, some of the lighter carbon. The very light. Yeah. yeah we're, 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 we're middle of the range for. Yeah. But, the composite but weight, you feel yeah. you could go lighter if you wanted. Oh, definitely. But our, 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 you know, the design, the design spec is very much set out, you know, in terms of a kind of a hierarchy is, is robustness and durability is mm -hmm. absolutely the top. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so the way the bikes are designed, we take downhill low cases. We apply the downhill low cases to all our bikes. Um, and we apply basically what's called infinite life design principles to the metal parts we can apply those downhill low cases repeatedly indefinitely to those metal parts and we apply a no growth principle it's called to the composite parts so you can saturate the composites in, in barely visible impact damage to stone little knocks of stones and if you accidentally tap it with a, a wrench or something um, you don't see any damage but there's a little delamination that's there it's inevitable with all composite um, all composite parts um, but you can apply those downhill low cases indefinitely to a to that 
frame in that condition, that tube in that condition. So um, given the, yeah, the, the high level of, of requirement we set there, the weight is quite remarkable as it, as it, as it, as what you end up with. Cool. So shifting gears, G, I want to go back a little bit and talk about the business itself. What made you decide you, you know, you're riding bikes at the highest level going along like, Oh, you know what? Downhill racing just, it isn't enough of a challenge. I feel like I should start a bike company. What, what made you want to own a bike company? Well, I guess the, 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 the idea has been there with, uh, between my brother and I for a long time, you know, it's something we've always talked about and always discussed and, you know, working with a lot of, of big kind of quite corporate companies, you see the, the kind of the, the, the pitfalls and the, the areas they fall short in. And, you know, we've often discussed the way we do something or what we'd like to do if we had that opportunity. And, you know, it was when we started talking about it and, and started realizing it could be an actual, you know, a realistic thing. It was for us, it was about creating bikes that, we would have wanted to ride at, at different times during our lives and careers. You know, it's about creating bikes that that weren't just created because they fit that commercial sales pattern the best. It was about creating bikes that are best for the rider. You know, we didn't want to create a bike that you would break in six weeks, but they would send you another one after a while. You know, it was about creating a bike that was going to work well and, and work for a long time and do exactly what you wanted it to. Gee, what does success look like for Atherton bikes five years from now or 10 years from now? What are you going to be happy with? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit of an unknown for us because you know we don't have experience in in this in this world but at the same time we know exactly kind of why we want the company to go and, and what we want from the company you know it's it's we want it to grow in a, in a natural organic way that that we can control and 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 keep a, a good hold of and you know, we, we want it to mm-hmm. expand. We, we don't want this to be a, a, a small kind of back garage operation. We want this to become, you know, bigger and bigger. And we, we, we truly believe what we're doing now and the people we're doing it with, you know, we're onto a good thing here. This, this is incredible. And, you know, when people get on the bike and, and test it out and come down the hill with a smile on their face and, you know, they're, they're excited about what they're riding, you know, that's where we want it to go. You know, we want people to be on, on bikes that they're stoked with and we know are going to serve them well. On the business side, one of the advantages that a lot of people talk about with additive manufacturing is being able to hold stock in powder rather than in, in product. Um, and the other is just in terms of the reduced waste of shipping and the environmental Im- impact and energy that it takes to make a frame. Would you... Is there a world in which we would see, say, a North American outfit get approved to produce Atherton bikes with your algorithm and your and your technology if they had the machine? Is that a thing? Brian, you raise a really good point. Um, I mean, the, the, our process inherently is very low waste. Mm-hmm. Um, we waste very little carbon. 
Um, there's no offcuts of pre-preg during the manufacturing process, and the waste from the carbon process is minimal. Um, the metallic side of things is very, very low waste again. Um, we would prefer not to be shipping mostly empty space in boxes around. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yes, I mean, North America in particular is a really important market. Uh, the Atherton brand is really strong in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, absolutely having just local manufacturing, local to market manufacturing, domestic manufacturing is very much part of our ethos and plan. Um, whether or not that's actually the machine running locally to market immediately is another question. There's a lot of expertise and know-how goes into the smooth running of those machines at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, we may have a, a stepwise plan to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may not be immediately just setting up shop with a, a running machine. Maybe we do some bonding and assembly locally to make our shipping more efficient. So we're shipping right. lugs tightly packed in boxes rather than frames a lot of empty space that's an interesting way to think about it uh, I, I heard Renishaw's maybe getting out of that machine making market anyways no. no is that wrong no 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 oh, okay. no no they're 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 very active still in development okay. um yeah i mean they're they their machine is fantastic they've got a very good market presence they're making great strides in different important markets for them um we'll see a Renishaw around for a long time Cool, cool. Levy, you can delete that because it makes me look dumb. <laughs> okay, let me just make that. <laughs> is there, is there, I'm kidding, but is there, you guys said, said, sorry, that it's a powder bed fusion, right? Yeah, laser powder bed fusion. It's okay. the ASTM term for the technology. Right. And how is that, how does that compare to some of the brands that we've seen, other, other brands making um, titanium 3D printed bike products? from say like element 22 or those guys where there's a sintering, like a debind and sintering process. How do those, because as I understand it very basically, you guys are literally just melting the all the, all the powder together. Whereas they've got a bunch of other processes. What's the, what's the difference and why? Um, so yeah, our process is essentially the micro welding process. Um, the powder bed um, has different, different ways of, of, of uh, realizing those technologies. Um, so one of the other technologies uh, which you're making reference to is, is a binder jet technology. Um, binder jetting in metals is, is not as mature as, as laser powder bed fusion in metals. Um, and the choice of materials is, is limited at the moment. So uh, running reactive materials, so aluminum, titanium in, in, um, powder, in, in, in binder jet technologies is, is is proprietary um so uh yeah i mean so there are lots of different technologies a lot of the, a lot of the bike industry is is essentially using laser powder bed fusion technologies so it's um if you look into the road area um i mean i give the, give the guys at bastion a shout out they they've, they've been around a similar sort of length of time because of the individuals here um uh they also use renishaw machines different design approach mm-hmm. different product uh stiffness driven rather than strength driven mm-hmm. um uh, but yeah, so the, our technology is the one that's most established in the bike industry, but it's also most established in other sectors, I mean, particularly kind of aerospace, Formula One applications. Cool. Who else is doing a cool, a good job in additive manufacturing? Are there other people we should be paying attention to and thinking about? In the bike industry? Yeah. Oh, well, Bastion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of respect for what Bastion does. Um, there are quite a few, I mean, there's quite a few companies starting to... Um, 
to pop up doing things. I, th- I mean, our approach is really driven by a set of really clear principles, and I kind of explained some of them. High specific strength titanium, high specific stiffness carbon. You keep the titanium parts small, very weight efficient joint. They're really clear principles. And when you see, I, mean, I don't want to call out specifics, but um, if you look at some other examples and you apply those principles I just, just shared with you, you might think, well, actually, is that the best solution? Um, so, yeah, I mean, our, our materials are very, very high performing. Our joint is very high performing. We're really reliable. The manufacturing process for it is very reliable. The actual joint architecture results in a reliable joint. It minimizes peel forces in the joint. Um, so, uh, yeah, there are, there are lots of different variations popping up. It's nice. It's, it's nice to see. It's a, it shows that um, there's a lot of potential in this technology. Uh, but, yeah, we've, we've got to come at it with a very kind of clearly defined approach. Uh, and applied in a really focused way and that's something we're really proud of well we got all our questions in brian i think that's most of them is there anything that you guys pretty much i don't think we should i don't think we should end on nerding out about fucking slm machines (laughs) let's find something else to to wrap up with jesus did you catch all of g's stuff though i mean the atherton's view is very long term um, mm-hmm. It's their name above the door, and the company needs mm-hmm. to be uh, kind of respectful of of where they want to take things. So we'll be around a long time, and um, we want to be providing providing them the bikes that they want to ride. I think it was I mean Athi was one of the catalysts behind this. He felt that the bike industry was lagging behind the pace at which riders were developing, and this technology and this team was a way to keep the pace up at the rate the riders were developing their riding and that hasn't stopped i mean god knows that hasn't stopped um so um yeah and we're that's our kind of mantra and if we can be around in many years to come still at the front of the market providing the best technology for those riders then we'll be will be it'll be a good news story and i think to to go back to what you mentioned earlier you know what it looks like for us in the future and what success would look like you know for us right now, we don't necessarily know, but we do know that building the company with a great team of people, what we've been doing already is 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 how we're going to find that success. You know that the company is is kind of is is Dan, Rach, and I's baby, and 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 our passion, and we want people there that feel the same and at the moment we we really do you know it's it's an amazing crew everyone rides everyone's into riding they love the the technology behind it and they're a passionate bunch you know and that can only create good things you know that can only create good products and you know we're not in a rush to turn this into a some some corporate monster you know we're we're happy for this to grow at the the pace it needs to and you know Number one for everyone at the at Atherton Bikes is create good, strong products that we would be proud of. Hey, you guys should come over to the HQ. Uh, it's it's an incredible place because it's just I mean it's just only modest. It's not a huge building, and, and Rob's waving his arms there. Um, but it's it's got our our Renishaw machine running in the in the ground floor. We've got a bonding room, super clean metal floors. Um, looks like an operating theatre. Uh, we build the bikes with our World Cup mechanic to get built up there. The design office where Rob is right now is upstairs. It overlooks the bike park at W Bike Park. And so it's about a mile away. 
so i mean it, it's an it's a it's a it's a dream place um it was just no coincidence we've we've we're trying to realize the dream so yeah you should guys should come over and check it out well maybe maybe i'll come over and pick up my 130 millimeter travel 29er that sounds like a that sounds like a trip i should do brian yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can talk about it. All right. We let's uh let's wrap it up with Uncle G. As a as a, a newish dad, have you guys made a three D printed run bike for Rachel yet? For her kid yet? <laughs> We're close, and you know this is something we get reminded of daily from Rach. So I'm sure it's going to happen very soon, just to keep her quiet. <laughs> <laughs> very important addition to the catalog. Critical. All right. Critical. All right, Ben G and Rob, thanks so much for your time. Lots of chat about Atherton bikes. I think we learned lots about additive manufacturing. And everybody listening, if you guys have questions and you want them answered from the guys at Atherton Bikes, put them down below and Ben, G, or Rob will get in there and they're going to answer some of your questions. So there you go. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye.